Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 23, starting in verse 2, having looked in our previous episode at the portrait of a woman of faith, just looking at that capstone statement that Sarah lived 127 years, and we examined what we know of Sarah's life, and she was a woman of faith. Therefore, we are called to live by faith, and we're called to submit by faith. Now, as we get to verse 2, we read this, And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, or Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So starting here in verse two, we see a second truth emerge from the text, not only this portrait of a woman of faith, but this reality here in verse two, that death visits all. Another reminder to us of what we saw back in Genesis chapter five, where we read that such and such a person was born and they lived this many years and they died. And that's exactly what verse 2 reminds us of, is that formula that is found in Genesis chapter 5. And we would do well to pause for a moment and, you know, look at the reality of death. This is the testimony and future of every human being until the Lord returns. It's a continual reminder of this sin-cursed world. We do everything in our power to fight it, to slow it down, to evade it. But its inevitable arrival will come upon us. Death is no respecter of persons. No matter uh, your faith, you will still face death. Uh, No matter your position in society, whether you are a king or a president or a queen or a technocrat or a billionaire or the richest person on earth, it doesn't matter your wealth or your status, death will visit you. And death will visit your loved ones along the way. Now, one thing that we can also note with regard to the reality of death, not only is death inevitable, and we do well to remind ourselves of this, but we see here with regard to Sarah anyway, that there is a location involved here. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron or Hebron in the land of Canaan. Now, for the most part, you cannot plan the location of your death. Though this is not the point of the text, it points out the geographic location of her death, which is not customary for all the other recorded deaths. And what I mean by that is that when we have other people recorded as dying, like back in Genesis chapter 5 and elsewhere, uh, we don't see the location of their death coming out. And so the fact that it's mentioned in the text uh, drives us to a couple of observations. Number one, Sarah came with Abraham from Ur, right? Her original homeland is way far away. And that's something that we should think about. She was away from her home country and any of the relatives that she may have had there. And she died in the land of promise, just as Abraham would, but it wasn't their land yet. Kiriath Arba was its ancient Hittite designation. 
After it was settled by Israel, it was known as Hebron and is south of Jerusalem. So the fact that we get that parenthetical phrase there, that is Hebron, which is essentially renaming it, that shows us that even though they're in the land geographically, they're not possessing it the way that one day the descendants of Abraham would possess it. It's, it's not quite a reality. They are at currently, they're geographically where they're go- going to end up, but they are still in the land at this present moment of their enemies, the Canaanites, who are the sons of Ham. Even the Egyptians were from the line of Ham. Remember that Abraham's father, Terah, is from the line of Shem. So you have this, this all comes out there, right? She comes from Ur. She's from that line. That line actually traces its lineage back through Shem. The region where they are with the Egyptians and the Canaanites and all these folks, these come from the line of Ham, who are going to be the enemies of God's chosen people. So it's kind of interesting to to note that. All right. So there is the reality of death. And then we also see in verse two, the pain of death. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Yeah, there, there is pain associated with death. So there's the discovery of death. You know, when we think through the process at some point, whether it's anticipated or not, there is going to be the reality that a loved one has passed away. And even if you know that it's coming, it still makes it difficult. We don't know what circumstances led up to her death. We're not told that in the scripture, but either way, Abraham is going to have to come to grips with the reality that his wife has just died. Facing the reality of sin, ultimately bringing this into a theological realm, what this does is it confronts the person, the mourner, with the reality of living in a sin-cursed and fallen world. That is what we should be thinking about when we face death and we are face-to-face with death and we have to uh, interact with it, with a loved one or, you know, with loved ones in the church and things like that. That's the point is that ultimately we should be driven back to our theology and our biblical worldview. The harshness and the unpleasantness of death shouldn't just be, oh, I wish they'd lived a little bit longer. We all wish that, but at what point is it acceptable that they die? Right? I mean, She lived 127 years. By today's standards, if somebody lived that long, we'd say, oh, that was a nice, long, full life. And yet there would still be mourning uh, for the passing because even if they have lived a long life by whatever standards, then there's still that absence. There's still that separation. That's what death brings is separation. So this discovery of death that a loved one has passed away it makes us face the reality of sin and the harshness and the unpleasantness of sin's consequences. What does that look like? Well, it looks very similar in the life of a believer like Abraham versus an unbeliever, at least in part, to a, to a degree, and that is mourning and weeping. Now, Paul is going to give us a little bit of insight, and he says to the church at Thessalonica, right, he says, we do not mourn as those without hope, but he doesn't say we don't mourn. So it's not that we don't mourn because we're Christians and unbelievers mourn. No, it's that we don't mourn as those who mourn that have no hope. Their mourning is of a different quality. Their mourning is of a different character uh, than has different characteristics than our mourning. 
we are still sad at the loss of a loved one. We're still sad at the prospect of years, perhaps, and decades, uh, however long the Lord gives us, of life without that person in our life anymore. My grandmother passed away now a couple years ago, and she was a very, very dear person to me, uh, a mother-like figure. I loved her dearly, and when I think about it for a long time, I'm still filled with great and deep sorrow. She was older, and she, by a lot of standards, had lived a nice, long, and full life, but I still miss her. I still mourn, but my mourning and my sorrow is very different because I know that her hope was in Jesus Christ for her salvation, that he had paid the penalty for her sins, and she had trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of all unrighteousness. And and I know that her hope was in Christ and Christ alone. I have confidence that I will see her again in heaven. And while I miss her, and I miss the fact that I, you know, I can't pick up my phone and call her and hear her voice at the other end and talk with her and how I would long for that, I do have the hope that I will see her again. So there's there's a difference there. But I remember, you know, very jarring when I got the news that she had passed. And I mean, it just hit me so hard and there was great mourning and weeping. I, I mean, she was, like I said, like a mother type of figure to me and had been for decades. And it was very, very difficult. I mean, and I knew, I still had my theology. I knew she was a believer. I believed what I believe now. I mean, those things hadn't changed, but it was still coming to grips with that. There is a time to mourn. And so we shouldn't, you know, pass over that too quickly. In fact, the scriptures even admonish us not to. Uh, Solomon, in his great wisdom that God had given him, says very wisely, because again, it's from on high, that there is a time for everything. And included in that list of the things that have their time in Ecclesiastes chapter three says in verse four there that there is a time to weep, right? There is a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to weep. Uh, There's a time of rejoicing and a time of mourning. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, we are admonished this way by the apostle Paul, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And there is a movement, I, you know, it saddens me to say that I've observed, and even within the church, to turn, uh, turn all of these things when there is a death of somebody just into a celebration, a celebration of life. Okay, and, and that is okay to its end and to a certain point, especially if you're talking about a believer. But I have also seen secular, what I would call a secular funeral, where they didn't really want the church involved or there was no gospel present. And so you could tell that, you know, even if there was a church and, and clergy involved, it was from a denomination that didn't focus on the gospel. So there's no gospel message. And I've, I've seen these funerals where it was just turned into a celebration of life. I remember a colleague of mine in, in one of my jobs outside of the ministry uh, passed away. And I wasn't able to go to the funeral in person because of where I live and, and where they, they lived, but I was able to watch it online. And you you know, I had interacted with this, this man for years, years. I I knew him fairly well. And we had had theological conversations. We had conversations around the gospel. And this man had never made an orthodox confession of faith. Never, not once could he articulate why, uh, he would be, had the hope of eternal life. And yet upon his sudden and unexpected passing, 
you know, a Catholic church, you know, uh, the parish in which he lived, they hosted the funeral and this priest got up and, and said how much he, you know, he was confident that this man would be in heaven because he played beautiful music and, and there was no hope of the gospel there. It was, you know, and they turned it, I should say, the whole point of that is they turned it into a celebration of life. Look at this man's accomplishments. Look at his life. Isn't it wonderful? It's a beautiful thing. And we're sad to lose him, but let's rejoice today to let today be a day of, of joy. Uh, that's not true. And especially when there's no hope of the gospel. But even for those who have the hope of the gospel, there is a necessity to mourn. I've seen people who just disregard death and they don't give themselves time to mourn. And they think that because of their theology that they shouldn't mourn and then they don't. And that has long side effects and consequences long into the future. Because if you do not allow yourself the grieving process to go through that process, uh, you're really setting yourself up for failure. And so... Abraham receives the news and just because it's expected or known or any of those things. And again, we don't know all those details doesn't make it any easier. He weeps and he mourns just like we're admonished to in scripture. There is a time for weeping. And we're even told in the new Testament, weep with those who weep. Now looking ahead when Jacob, this would be Abraham's grandson, right? When Jacob died, and at this point in his life, his name is Israel, Joseph mourned for seven days. That's at the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 10. This was after the official 70 days of mourning that were declared by Pharaoh in Genesis 50, verse 3. That's a long time to mourn, but it's appropriate to allow ourselves to do that and to mourn and to go through the grieving process. It is the reality of living in a fallen and sin-cursed world. Now, I had located an article that was, you know, kind of fascinating to me, and it was on the topic of burial and mourning regarding how did these ancient cultures do this, uh, specifically whether it was in the land of Egypt or just in this culture in this time, because whatever is happening in the land of Egypt is not that far removed from where Abraham is. So this article, Burial and Mourning, we read this, some burial accounts do not mention mourning, right? Those of Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham's going to die a little bit later, Isaac, we don't have a record of mourning. And it goes on, while other texts indicate long-lasting grief, like Genesis 24, verse 67, Genesis 37, verse 35. Official mourning lasted 70 days for Jacob in Egypt, that's Genesis 50, verse 3, and 30 days for Aaron and Moses in Israel, Numbers 29, 29, Deuteronomy 34, verse 8. And you see here also the idea of a month of mourning allowed to a female captive before enforced marriage, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 13. Not saying that that's advocating for those types of arrangements, but it was the reality and there was an allowance made for proper mourning when they were essentially losing somebody, not necessarily in death, but the prospect of marriage to a loved one because of captivity, they allowed for a mourning period. So all that to say, there is a time for mourning. And that also brings us to this idea with the pain of death, that it is right to mourn the loss of our loved ones. 
and we've kind of said that, but let's just come out and say it, you know, just very directly. It is right to shed tears. It is right to feel grief. It is right to feel pain and separation. And those are things that we should not try and stifle. We shouldn't try and cover them up with drugs that kind of dull our feelings. We shouldn't do those things. We need to allow ourselves to feel that. Uh, That is something that God has created and put within us to experience that. And it should help us to continue to develop our robust practical theology. And we can see all of this happening in Sarah's account here. It's right to mourn. It's right to to shed tears and to feel grief and pain and separation. These things should lead us as believers to strengthened faith as we process all that has happened with what we know of God. Well, that's all we have time for today. Just another one verse here as we pick it up in our next episode. I think we'll be able to cover quite a bit more territory, uh, but we'll wait until then. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.